Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. We are live on a Monday, post-4th of July Monday. Hope everybody had a great weekend. Hope everybody had a safe weekend. We don't need any Jason Pierre Pauls out there missing a finger due to fireworks. So hope everybody's good. Hope everybody had a great weekend, enjoyed some beer. Hopefully you got near some kind of body of water, be it a lake, a river, whatever it might be, Uh, and, and spent some time around the family, had a little barbecue, had some beer. Hope everybody had a great weekend. We're back to reality here. Maybe you're on your way to work. Maybe you're working out right now. Maybe you're walking the dog in the morning uh, before you have to go to work. But today we have a a very exciting episode. Uh, I got a couple fan questions in the mailbag that we'll get to. The Big Ten Network released their Big Ten All-Decade football team uh, over the course of last week. I have some thoughts. Today we're going to do the offense. Uh, I wanted to do the whole the whole basically team as a, as a group in one episode. And then as I started going through this, I just had way too much uh, that I wanted to talk about. So we're going to split it up a little bit. We're going to do the offense today. And on Thursday, we'll hit you with the defense and the special teams um, as well as a couple other things coming up. So um, again, today got a couple mailbag questions, got the all-decade offense to get to, uh, and really excited for it. If you're coming in for the first time listening to Standing Room Spartans, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, go ahead and hit that subscribe. Leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps me out. When you leave that review, make sure you ask me a question. I will answer it on the podcast. Follow me on Twitter at Standing Room MSU. Again, you can leave a question for me there. Um, I got a couple questions today that we'll talk about on Twitter. And uh, of course, if you're coming back for your fifth, tenth episode, whatever it might be, thank you so much for the support. Keep on telling your friends and family uh, the, this has been awesome. So, uh, really, thank you so much. I really appreciate you know, giving me 30, 45 minutes a couple times a week to uh, to rant about MSU sports, MSU football. Uh, and I appreciate you. Uh, I appreciate you appreciating me. Uh, we'll put it that way. So thank you so much. Let's get into it here. We'll start with a couple Twitter questions today. I put out on Twitter a little ask me anything going into the weekend. Got a couple good ones here. We'll start with Lucas at 
Lugwitz brother. Uh, he asked me a very interesting question here. I'm sure it's related to some experience in his life that I'm uh, currently unaware of. Uh, Lucas asks, have you ever eaten your lunch in your 2004 Ford, 2004 Ford Focus SE? little tongue twister there. Have you ever eaten your lunch in your 2004 Ford Focus SE outside of Spartan Stadium staring at it instead of eating your ramen noodles? Uh, quick answer is no, I have not. Uh, one, because I've never owned a 2004 Ford Focus SE. I've actually never owned a Ford car in my life. Uh, my, my grandfather was a GM guy, so we've had Chevy. But um, no, I have not. A um, couple questions for you, Lucas. One, who eats ramen noodles in a car? Uh, I definitely don't think that's a very car-friendly meal. So uh, I, I don't think I've ever had ramen noodles in a car. I feel like it'd be like eating soup in a car. It, it just doesn't really make sense to me. Something doesn't add up there. Um, I probably have eaten lunch in view of Spartan Stadium. Uh, like other than tailgating, obviously, I'm trying to think of some time where I was eating lunch in a parking lot, going to the library or something like that. I'm, I'm not really sure. Um, but yeah, again, I never, never really had that experience. Um, I had in college a 2000 Buickless Saber, uh, which I absolutely loved. Uh, that was a phenomenal car. It was a bit of a gas guzzler. Um, and a bit of a boat. So trying to park that thing on campus was a hassle. But uh, my first car, high school, 99 Chevy Lumina. I, I really wish that that car could have kept going for me because I absolutely adored that car. And everybody loves their first car, right? But this thing was absolutely awesome. I, I acquired the car with about 200,000 miles on it. Uh, by the end of its tenure, it was stalling out. Basically, any time that you drove further than 10 consecutive miles, it would stall out. So, you know, it locks up the power steering and everything. So, you know, you really got to get the forearm workout and get that thing to the side of the road. Restart the car. Boom, you're ready to go. Um, I, I basically got it down to a science by my senior year of high school where, <laughs> This is going to sound bad in hindsight, but, you know, if I'd be driving down Grand River, uh, you could basically just put the car in neutral and restart it while you're still driving down the road. It, you know, it was just a hassle to pull over every 10, 15 miles. So uh, we, we started doing that. But, yeah, that car had to go. We had to, to make a, a change, went to the 2000 Buick LeSabre, and that's the car that got me through college. Uh, went went through all of East Lansing with me. Uh, no AC. Uh, that was tough in the summertime. I had a summer internship where I was doing business to business sales. So I was driving all around the the greater Lansing area, um, trying to sell advertisement space. And uh, you know we we had a pretty pretty strict. You had to wear pants um, and and a shirt with a collar. They preferred like a shirt and tie, but I basically had to wear a polo shirt, a golf shirt, because the, the shirt and tie move when it's 95 degrees and humid out in the summer and you're driving around with no AC in your car is not a good move. So uh, I went with the polo shirt, always had one extra in the car in the back for 
like the lunchtime sweats uh, when when you had to change in the middle of the day. But I still loved that car. You know, even though you're driving down the highway with all the windows open because the AC doesn't work. Uh, man, it was it was a great car. But no, I I have not as a short answer had that experience, Lucas. Uh, but I appreciate the question. Second one here from Kyle at takes underscore on. So Kyle asks, who will win the 2020 Mac championship? Uh, great question. I started digging into this a little bit. Uh, when you go on to betonline.ag, they have Buffalo as the favorite here to win the conference. Last year, the conference championship game, of course, was Miami of Ohio, the winner of the East over Central Michigan under Jim McElwain. The Mac was pretty solid last year. He had seven bowl games, uh, three wins. He had Buffalo winning over Charlotte, Kent State with a blowout win over Utah State, who had a first-round quarterback, and Ohio over Nevada. So you had some good teams in the Mac last year. I think you'll have a few good teams this year. Basically, it comes down to three teams for me. You got Buffalo out of the East. They have basically are returning their entire team. Uh, they got a tough schedule. They, I know they're going like at Ohio State. I, I would have to bring it back up. I remember they got a really tough non-conference. But then their conference schedule as well. Most of the good teams in the conference, they're on the road. Um, so it's a tough schedule for Buffalo, but I, I think they're coming out of the East. Ohio is a sleeper there in the East. I, I think that could be a really good team. They're re- returning basically everybody but their quarterback. Um, and then on the West, I think it's Central Michigan and everybody else. They, When you go on to betonline.ag, the, the odds to win the West are split. Uh, Central Michigan plus 275, Western Michigan plus 275, Toledo plus 275. Uh, but Central Michigan, I think they have the best coach of the group by far, Jim McElwain. I, I know he's had some troubles as a Power 5 head coach, um, but he's gotten a lot of opportunities for a reason. He is a good football coach, and when you're comparing him to the Mac schools, uh, I think he's head and shoulders above them. So give me Central out of the West with a great defense. Um, so it's going to come down to Central Michigan and either Buffalo or Ohio. I'm going to just have a little fun with it. I'm going to go with the Ohio Bobcats. They're a little bit of an underdog here if you're looking at the odds to win the conference. So if you want to throw a couple dollars down on it, I think Ohio is the team to bet on. Uh, Buffalo is the favorite. I I think they're probably the most likely. But you know what? Let's have some fun with it. Get some Thursday night, Wednesday night action in this year and root on your Buffalo Bobcats to the Mac championship. So uh, thanks for the question there, Kyle. Uh, I got the Ohio Bobcats winning it, but Buffalo, Central Michigan, those are probably going to be your three best teams with my limited research that I have done uh, for that question. So um, let's get into the Big Ten all-decade team again. I'm going to go through the offense here today. On Thursday, we'll go through the defense. Um, I just think that as I went through this, I have a lot of thoughts. And in general, look, it's it's a tough gig when you really get down to it. There's always going to be somebody that's left off. There's always going to be somebody that's overranked. That's just how these lists go. Um, I think they generally did a pretty good job. Uh, there's a couple, I think, glaring position groups, uh, a couple glaring selections that that really stood out that I didn't agree with. 
Um, but for the most part, I, I think they generally got it right. One thing that as I was going through, I was like, who the hell is voting for this thing? You know, where's where's my vote, first of all? Um, if you go to my Twitter at Standing Room MSU, I have a thread of my thoughts, just a couple quick hitter thoughts on basically everybody that's been picked. So uh, again, follow at Standing Room MSU. You'll get the quick hitter thoughts, but I'll go a little bit more in depth on the podcast here. But uh, I was going through to who voted. It was a, a list of, I think, 24 people. I forget the exact number. There was like four former Ohio State players or, or coaches on that. So that was a little bit questionable for me. Um, when you have one team that's controlling, you know, a, a that big of a portion of the voting panel, uh, that see, like, what is it? One in six of the voters are from Ohio State when you have a 14-team conference. Now, granted, of course, you're going to have a lot of Ohio State players, and you should. Uh, but I, I just that that one it made me a little bit uncomfortable. And we'll talk about a couple of the Ohio State picks that I either agree or disagree with coming up in the offense and the defense. But um, that 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 was just bothered me a little bit. I, I would have liked to see them spread out, maybe like one beat reporter from every school. Um, and a couple of the Big Ten Network analysts as well. I, I would, I think that would have been the better approach. But you know, it is what it is. And again, generally, I think they did a pretty good job. So let's let's kind of run through the offense here. We'll obviously start with the quarterback. Now they, the way that they did this, they unveiled it in a very strange way. It was like Monday was running backs and linebackers. Tuesday was like O line and uh o-line and tight end or so, no, no no o-line alone the next day was tight end and dbs it was a really weird kind of mix how they did it but you know we'll kind of go back through it in a more orderly fashion here uh, but again starting with the quarterbacks uh, which was the last that they named and i think it's a pretty obvious number one here jt barrett was the winner He's a three-time Big Ten quarterback of the year. He's number one in passing touchdowns in Big Ten history by 14 over Drew Brees. Number one in touchdowns responsible for. So when you add passing, rushing, receiving, returning, everything, every touchdown, he's number one in the Big Ten history by 40. And that's just so ridiculous. He's got, I think it was 147 touchdowns responsible for and again he's the leader by 40 in that metric so it's i think a very very clear and obvious choice here with jt barrett 9400 passing yards and 100 touchdown 104 touchdowns 3275 rushing yards to go along with that 43 touchdowns um, was a thorn in our side for a few years i remember when ohio state played um, at Michigan State, it was a night game, and JT Barrett, I don't think he threw a single incompletion that whole game. They were just picking us apart underneath, over the top. I mean, he just had a really good game, and obviously his pro career hasn't really turned out to be much of anything, but man, was that dude awesome at Ohio State. And, and of course, he's got a lot of weapons around him. You could say that for pretty much every Ohio State player, but uh, again, when you look at those numbers, number one in passing touchdowns and touchdowns responsible by a wide margin, um, he he made the most of his opportunity there. So JT Barrett was the number one. 
Now the second team, this is, I have a problem with this. Dwayne Haskins was their second team pick. Look, he had a great year a couple years back, over 5,000 passing yards, whatever it was, um, lighting up record books as far as single season numbers, but it was one season. That's where I really have a problem with this. When you look back at this decade, uh, you know, I, I like to think about, of course, as we're as we're closing out the decade here, we're only six months removed from it. I think when we go back, let's say five years from now and, and really take a snapshot of the decade, we we kind of leave out recency bias. I don't think Dwayne Haskins is going to be a guy we remember the Big Ten by over the course of that decade. It, it was one great season, don't get me wrong, but you have obviously Connor Cook that we can mention, two-time uh, Big Ten champion, two-time Big Ten championship game MVP. He was a first-team All-Big Ten. He was a quarterback of the year that year as well. Um, he had a tremendous career, obviously. Uh, you could even throw in Trace McSorley. I would take over over Dwayne Haskins without hesitation, really. Number two in the conference history and touchdowns responsible for when you combine passing and rushing. He had a great career. He kind of lifted Penn State out of that. Uh, out of the problems that they've had, you know, obviously after Joe Paterno, and then you had Bill O'Brien there with uh, Christian Hackenberg, who they they started to turn the corner back around as a program. But when Trace McSorley got there, is when they really started putting up double digit win seasons consistently with James Franklin. So I would have liked to see Trace McSorley even over Dwayne Haskins or, or obviously Connor Cook. Even a guy like Clayton Thorson, he was kind of my honorable mention here as a guy that I just wanted to give a little love to out of Northwestern. Clayton Thorson was a hell of a Big Ten quarterback. You know, he could run it. He could pass it. He made a lot of games really difficult for better teams when they were going up against him. So Clayton Thorson, I think, deserves a little bit of credit here as kind of an honorable mention there. But again, JT Barrett, obviously the number one pick. Um, second team, I would have liked to see Connor Cook. I would have liked to even have seen Trace McSorley over Dwayne Haskins, who had one tremendous year, but it's one year. And and again, when we take a snapshot of this decade a couple years from now and look back and, and take away the recency bias, I, I just don't get it. I, the, the questionable thing here is for me, again, I don't know what their criteria was. You know, was it overall achievements and accolades? Was it talent? I'm not really sure because if you're going on talent, I'll take Justin Fields over Dwayne Haskins all day if you're going to give me a one-year starting Ohio State quarterback. So I don't really know. It was a little flip-floppy there. I'll even take Russell Wilson if you're going to give me a one-year guy over Haskins. So I I would have preferred to see a guy with a better career like Connor Cook or Trace McSorley. But even if you're going with the one-year guys, give me Justin Fields or Russell Wilson. Um, over Dwayne Haskins so uh, that one left me a little sour but I think they knocked it out of the park with that first pick that's a a hard one to disagree with Um, and the second or the the second position group I should say that we're going with here the running backs the first pick is the most obvious pick probably of this whole team uh, outside of JT Barrett and that's Jonathan Taylor out of Wisconsin 6,174 rushing yards in three years. I mean, if this dude stuck around for another year, he would have shattered NCAA records, just about all of them. I mean, 
three years, freshman, sophomore, junior, you're rushing for about 2,000 yards a year. That's absolutely ridiculous. The other first team member, uh, Saquon Barkley, two time back to back Big Ten Offensive Player of the Year. Um, he gets by, I think, a lot on on uh, reputation here. I'll talk about a guy that I could have made an argument for above him, but at the end of the day, I, I do think it's probably the right pick. Again, when you go back and take this decade as a snapshot a few years from now, Saquon Barkley is absolutely one of those players where you're going to look back on him and just be like, man, he he made so many big plays. He had a kick return against Ohio State. That was the opening kick um he's so many special plays he had that uh that play was it against iowa where he hurdled the guy and he broke a tackle while he was in midair i mean th- this dude was ridiculous um and, and made so many highlight plays one step between the two of them i thought was funny because again J- J- jonathan taylor had such a special three years saquon barkley when you combine his rushing yards and his passing yards so again First team all decade. One of the best running backs we've seen in the Big Ten. Um, dual threat, receiving and, and rushing. When you combine his his yards from scrimmage, you get 5,038 yards in three years. That's over 1,000 yards less than Jonathan Taylor's rushing yards alone in those three seasons. So that that just goes to show you how obvious Jonathan Taylor was in this and how great he was. Uh, Second team here was Zeke Elliott and Melvin Gordon. Zeke Elliott obviously is going to be best remembered for that postseason run in 2014, leading him to the national championship. Three games in the postseason when you look at the Big Ten championship game against Wisconsin, the college football playoff semifinal against Alabama, and the national championship against Oregon. He went for 220 yards and two touchdowns, 230 yards and two touchdowns, and finished it off in the national championship with 246 yards and four touchdowns. I mean, that's one of the best runs that I, we've ever seen from any college football player in history. So um, his his spot on there is is hard to argue. Melvin Gordon, he had that one season with, with 2,587 rushing yards. That's the most in a Big Ten season by over 400. And that's over guys like Ron Dane and Jonathan Taylor. I mean, ridiculous season finished second in the Heisman that year to Marcus Mariota um ridiculous year again you you just can't you're not going to find many better seasons across college football history um than Melvin Gordon's 2014 season now a couple guys that I I wanted to give a shout out to here Justin Jackson from Northwestern another guy you know I want to try to give Northwestern some love here Justin Jackson is fourth in the Big Ten career list with 5,440 rushing yards. He's third in the Big Ten list in yards from scrimmage. This guy was making plays all over the place with Clayton Thorson and and just, again, was a big part of the reason that Wisconsin won so many of those big games during that stretch. And I think Justin Justin Jackson, while he's, you know, again, probably not going to be a real candidate for one of these teams i think he deserves some love as a guy from this decade and the other one monty ball um here's a guy i probably could argue over one of these running backs i I don't know i don't really know who i would take off the list is the problem but he started his career in 2009 but if we take his decade years 2010 and 2011 
those two seasons, he had 3,700 yards and 55 touchdowns. His career, he's number one in touchdowns uh, in the Big Ten. So in Big Ten history, is fourth in the Heisman Trophy voting in 2011. Um, I think you could make a strong case for Monty Ball being on one of these teams. Uh, but, you know, it's a tough case to, to knock one of those four guys off. Obviously, the Michigan State guys, you have Jeremy Langford and Le'Veon Bell. Uh, when you look at the list of these guys that are on the team, again, it's it's really hard to make an argument that you should knock one of those guys off. Um, where Le'Veon Bell had a couple really, really special seasons and was, was great from the get-go. I mean, this freshman season, I think he put up like 800 yards. Um, and then you you finalize that with his last season, something like 1,800 yards, like 35 carries a game when we were marching out there with uh, Andrew Maxwell at quarterback in 2012. So um, Le'Veon Bell, you know, you could make a case as kind of an honorable mention guy. Jeremy Langford, obviously, you could make that case as well. 1,500 yards, basically, in back-to-back years. I think one was like 1,480. That one was 1,500. Um, you know, just always made the plays when it mattered. When when you got down to the fourth quarter in a big game, you know Jeremy Langford was going to make a big play for you. Obviously, culminating in that Ohio State game where he runs up the middle, splits the safeties, and and really just cements that 2013 Big Ten championship game for us. So it's hard to to knock one of these other guys off, but you know, I would have liked to see a third team or an honorable mention here because I think one of those. Michigan State players would have a strong case, but um, wide receivers here. The top two, I think, were were pretty much. They're really hard to argue with the top two. I, I think they made the right picks here. You have Allen Robinson, two-time Big Ten Wide Receiver of the Year. He was he's the only Big Ten wide receiver to do that in the decade. Uh, Fourteen hundred yards and seventeen touchdowns in those two seasons. So. Um, they, that was just a really special couple of years there in 2012, 2013. Um, then you have Tyler Johnson, back-to-back first team, all Big Ten. He is currently number seven all-time in Big Ten wide receiver, Big Ten receiving yards, fifth all-time in touchdowns. Um, just a really, really productive guy, like 3,300 yards and 33 touchdowns over the course of his career. So, you know, he gave you a really consistent play. He gave you a couple superstar flashes and a couple big moments, you know, all in all, just a really productive player that, that again, it's, it's hard to argue that there were anybody more well-deserving than those two guys. The second team was very interesting you had a guy that I, I think is a shoe-in for the second team, and that's Jared Aberderis from Wisconsin. Think about this in the Wisconsin offense and how they're just running the ball every single play. They're throwing the ball a couple times a game. Jared Aberderis is ninth in the history of the conference in receiving yards as a Big Ten or as a, a Wisconsin wide receiver. Obviously, we remember the 2011 Big Ten Championship game against Wisconsin. He had a big game that that day. Uh, the other guy, Rondell Moore. I think this one, we could have gone a few different directions. Now, he had a, an outstanding freshman season in 2018, where he uh, was the Big Ten wide receiver of the year as a true freshman. Um, in 17 career games, he was hurt most of last year. He only got a couple a couple games in. So in 17 career games in the decade, 
over 109 yards from scrimmage per game, uh, averages over a touchdown per game. Absolutely electric playmaker. Uh, this guy, I think he he. <sighs> It's hard to say he deserves a spot on the roster because, again, 17 total games in the decade. Um, And and I just feel like we could have done a little bit more with that. But again, it's, you know, he he had a really, really impressive 2018 season. It's it's really hard to argue um, against that. So, I mean, he's probably the guy I would take off of the list now. You know, who would we put on instead of him? Obviously, between Tony Lippett and Aaron Burbridge, you could make the case for either one of those. Tony Lippett, just about 2,200 yards and 15 touchdowns in his career. At Michigan State, he was the Big Ten wide receiver of the year. He had a couple big moments with, uh, you know, the, the slant pass against Stanford in the Rose Bowl that iced the game for us. Um, Aaron Burbridge, another Big Ten wide receiver of the year, uh, a little bit under his production, under Lippitt's production, but about 2,100 yards and 10 touchdowns for for Burbridge. So, you know, I think between one of those two guys, I would probably lean Lippitt. You could have made a strong case for. You also have uh, Chris Godwin from Penn State, who's, you know, really making a name for himself in the NFL right now. Um, he, he's a guy I think you could look back on, uh, Devin Smith from Ohio state, uh, probably the most productive wide receiver at Ohio state over the last few years. When you look at his whole career, um, with JT Barrett and, and, you know, those just ridiculous offenses. Um, I mean, DJ Moore at Maryland, but he was only, you know, kind of a flash in the pan type of guy, Austin Carr. Again, if you want to throw another Northwestern name out there. He's another guy who had a one outstanding season. So um, the wide receiver group, I, I don't have too big of an issue with it. Rondell Moore is the only guy I would take off for probably Tony Lippett. I, I would like to put on there, but the top two in the first team, I, I think is impossible to argue. Those are the two right guys for that. Um, this, this type of list. Which brings us to the tight end. Uh, well, last we'll go through the tight end and then the offensive line, and then we'll get out of here. The tight ends, they they had Jake Butt as the first team. That one, I think, is is definitely the right choice. Obviously, the Michigan player. He's the only two-time Big Ten tight end of the year. He was super athletic, just a matchup nightmare, really hard to defend against. First team All-American as a junior, finished with over 1,600 yards. When you look at a productive pass-catching tight end, Jake Butt was the guy. um, Dealt with injuries, and I think he could have had a much better NFL career than he's had to this point without injuries. Um, I forget exactly what it was. He tore up his knee or something like that, but um, he's probably a a safe number one uh, first-team pick for the all-decade team. Um, and, and you go through the list, you know, going down to the second team here, they had TJ Hawkinson out of Iowa, who we obviously know as our hometown Detroit lion top 10 draft pick. And he's a guy who won the big 10 tight end of the year, uh, his last season at, at Iowa in 2018, probably the most complete tight end college tight end that I've ever seen, uh, you know, again, as an NFL draft guy i i definitely didn't disagree with the lions taking him in the top 10 that's how good he was and 
And that's how good I think he he still has the chance to be for you Lions fans out there knocking the pick. I think he's still got a chance to be a really special player. <clears throat> that that week one game against the Cardinals with over a hundred yards and touchdowns. So um I, I expect him to come back, you know, strong. But um TJ Hawkinson, obviously, he he was a really, really good player at Iowa. Um I I think both of these guys are well deserving of these picks. I, I think they did a pretty good job with it. Um, Josiah Price is a guy I think you you could make an argument for. Uh, he had 21 touchdowns. That's uh, two away from actually top five in conference history for receiving touchdowns. But you know another guy similar to Langford just always seemed to be making the big plays when it counted on third down in the red zone. He was the go-to target. Um, Josiah Price, you could make an argument for here. Um, Troy Fumagalli, another guy I think you could make an argument for. He was the Big Ten tight end of the year in 2017, and he did it with only nine fingers. So uh, Troy Fumagalli was awesome at at Wisconsin. I think you could make a case for him uh, being in the conversation as well. Now, the last group, and this is actually probably the group I have the biggest problem with, especially as a Michigan State fan. So uh, the first team, all decade Big Ten offensive line, they did six players per team, uh, which was really weird. Uh, they only had two wide receivers and they had six offensive linemen. I'm fine with doing six offensive linemen, but give me three wide receivers. That that felt weird. Uh, but <clears throat> first team, you had Brandon Scherf out of Iowa, two-time All-American Outland Trophy winner, top five draft pick, one of the best offensive linemen I've ever seen. This was an easy, easy pick. Uh, Michael Dieter from Wisconsin, the guard. He was a two-time All-Big Ten, first-team All-American one year. Uh, This was one I I could make an argument for one of our guys that we'll talk about in a second here. Uh, Billy Price, center out of Ohio State. Uh, Another one I think is an easy pick. Two-time All-American, Remington Award winner for the best center in college football. Dan Feeney out of uh, out of Indiana, I think, is a great pick here. Good job by the panel. He is the fourth Indiana player in school history to be a two-time All-American. Uh, and then you have Taylor Lewan, who obviously is out of Michigan. Um, you know, when you, you kind of take the rivalry out of it and look at it objectively, he obviously should be a pick here. It's it's kind of hard hard to argue. Two-time All-American, two-time Big Ten O-Lineman of the Year, three-time first-team All-Big Ten. The one the one problem I did have with it is they, they put out basically a little Twitter video with each pick, uh, basically a little hype video, little highlights, you know, talking about their achievements and some interviews with some analysts. And the first guy, he, he was blowing smoke up so far up his ass. It was ridiculous. He was saying that, you know, he's he uh, he was the guy that, you know, no D lineman wanted to face and all this. OK, OK. And then he made a comment that he was at times blocking two guys at once. It was like, OK, come on now. And then nobody, nobody in college football is blocking two guys at once. That's an absolutely ridiculous thing to say. Uh, but Taylor Lewan deserves his spot on here. The biggest issue I have probably with this entire list is Wyatt Davis out of Ohio State. Really, really great player, but a one-year starter. First-team All-American and probably will be 
a, a top 10, top 15 draft pick after another All-American type season that I expect him to have next year. Amazing player. But again, it's similar to Dwayne Haskins. He only did it for one season. And you have so many guys on this list who had out really, really outstanding careers. So to put an offensive lineman out there after one one season of work, I think is just disrespectful, to be completely honest. Um, again, Brendan Sheriff absolutely earned his spot on the team. Uh, Dan Feeney absolutely earned his spot on the team. These guys had long-lasting, amazing careers, multiple-year All-Americans. Um, so I, I do have a big problem with that. Uh, I think, you know, we'll talk about the two Michigan State guys who got left off this list completely in a second here, but I think both of them could have made an argument over over Wyatt Davis. If you're only doing um, two tackles on each list, which it looks like they're doing, um, you know, fine, but I think Jack Allen still should have been here. We'll talk about them in a second here because they weren't even, neither of them were even on the second team. That just drives me freaking nuts here. The second team, you have Wisconsin's Gabe Karimi. You have Ohio State's Taylor Decker. Penn State's Stefan Wisniewski. Wisconsin's Kevin Zietler. And Ohio State's Pat Elfline. And all of them, again, are great players. But I don't think that there's a way you can leave Jack Allen off this list. Four-year starter, two-time All-American back-to-back, back-to-back Big Ten first team, back-to-back Remington Award finalist, so a top three center in America back-to-back years. I think it's a crime to leave Jack Allen off of this All-Decade team. I think he is very, very underappreciated in the in Michigan State even. I, I think people don't really appreciate him enough, as well as the conference as a whole. Um, I, I really think that, that Jack Allen was the best offensive lineman that Mark D'Antonio had in his time. And the other guy, obviously Jack Conklin, um, Conklin was a freshman, all American in his first season, starting uh, second team, all big 10, his sophomore year, first team, all American and, and a top 10 pick after his junior year. Um, he obviously has a very strong case to make, to be on this list as well. But the biggest problem for me was Jack Allen because again, four years starting, two years as as the best, one of the best in your position in the country. I mean, he's a guy who I, I just think it's completely disrespected on this list. With you know all all respect to Wyatt Davis and and Kevin Zeitler and Pat Elfline, I, I think he could have made a strong case over any of them. And and even if you look over Michael Dieter. Michael Dieter, two-time first-team Big Ten, one-time All-American. You basically have the same same accomplishments there, but Jack Allen did more as a team. He started more games. I just I don't understand how he was left off this list, and that that really bothers me. Um, the last the last position they did an all-purpose for offense and for defense. Um, on the offensive side, the first team. Uh, all-purpose player was Braxton Miller, a guy that I think is the easy pick there. He was a three-year quarterback at Ohio State, obviously. Uh, had the the last season where he, he was hurt in the preseason. That's when JT Barrett came in and, and took over the starting job. Uh, JT Barrett then got hurt, and Cardell Jones led them to that national, national championship. So 2015, they came in with the quarterback battle between Braxton Miller, JT Barrett, and Cardell Jones. 
Um, obviously, Braxton or uh, JT Barrett won that out. Braxton Miller, they moved to wide receiver. So over the course of his career at Ohio State, he finished with 5,300 passing yards, 3,300 rushing yards, 340 receiving yards, 88 total touchdowns. This guy was an awesome athlete. He, he was making plays all over the field. Uh, you go back to that 2013 Big Ten championship game in which Michigan State obviously won. But we went off to that hot start. It was, what, 17 nothing start. And then Ohio State started coming back. And JT, or uh, I keep saying JT Barrett, Braxton Miller um, started to lead them back. And, and the floodgates started opening. And, and, man, I was so nervous because he was gashing us for 20-yard rushing plays, hitting a couple guys over the top for long pass completions. And, he was a guy that just made you so nervous on the other side of the ball because you knew he could do it both ways. If he dropped back to pass and nobody was open, you knew he could make a play running the ball. He had that uh, that Virginia Tech spin move that I'll never forget. Uh, he he had so many special moments. And then even you move him to wide receiver, 340 yards receiving. He had another 300-some yards rushing in that season as well. Just a, a really dynamic athlete. Second team was Denard Robinson. Uh, you know, again, obviously you look at the rivalry side of this and like, you know, Denard, September Heisman competed with uh, the Tate the Great 4CA for that job. But uh, Denard Robinson had a couple really special moments. I remember that no- Notre Dame game on the road where he had like 200 yards throwing and rushing. Uh, he had 4,500 rushing yards by the end of his career, which is good for 13th in Big Ten history. Um, you know, I, I, as much as we like to give Michigan crap for that era of, uh, Michigan football, Denard Robinson was a pretty special player and a pretty special athlete. Had a couple years as a running back in Jacksonville, um, just to show you how athletic he was to, to make the switch to running back at that frame and, and still be a little bit productive for a few games here and there. Uh, but, he, you know, he was a great player. And and again, I, I don't think that there's really any argument to those two as far as kind of an all-purpose type player. Um, you know, I, I could have argued like someone like Rondell Moore even for Purdue or DJ Moore for Maryland. But uh, I, I think those are the right picks. So that's the offense. We'll go into the defense next week. I did put up a little poll I want to mention here of after the whole thing, who is the biggest all-decade snub? Um, I'll give you the two selections I had for offense with Jack Allen and Jack Conklin. I had two defensive players on there as well, which we'll get to. Um, Jack Conklin had 50% of the total vote. Jack Allen was right behind him with 32%. Again, I I think Jack Allen was the best offensive lineman D'Antonio ever had. I I think that he was such a key piece of that offense um, in the time that he was here. And uh, I I just really think he he was the biggest snub, I think, on the entire list. And I'm not even really just saying that as a Michigan State fan. I'm saying that as a fan of college football and of the Big Ten, I think they really screwed the pooch on that one. So all in all, again, the offense, I think they did a pretty good job. The first team quarterback was an easy pick. I think the running backs, they they did they made the right picks. Wide receivers, I think, were the right guys outside of Rondell Moore. Tight end, again, I think were the right picks. Offensive line is where I really think they uh, they really messed up there, but all in all, hard hard to, uh, you know, again, you, these lists are impossible to make. I, I give them credit for doing it. 
I think the Ohio State bias was was real, but uh, we'll get to the defense on Thursday. We will do the all decade defense. Uh, who made it? Who I think should have made it? A couple of my picks, uh, my honorable mentions, some analysis with that as well. We'll also do our betting the Big Ten West. So last uh, last week we did betting the Big Ten East mini conference preview, kind of from a gambling perspective. Over under win totals was a biggest part of that. So we'll do that again with the Big Ten West. Um, we'll kind of combine these two because, you know, obviously the Big Ten West doesn't have Michigan State in it. So maybe a lot of you aren't quite as interested. But I think there are some interesting numbers out there if you want to throw some dollars down. But in general, it's always good to get familiar with kind of the expectations of the teams on both sides of the conference. We're going to see a couple of them. Um, so, you know, always interesting to get the general idea before the season. I'll go into a, a big preview episodes, uh, a couple of them. I, I've talked to Scott already about some ideas that we're going to do with that. So definitely keep that on your radar as we get closer to the season and we have a better of idea of what it's going to look like. You know, are there going to be fans in the stands? Are we going to play a full season? Is the non-conference really going to be um, in play? Are, are we... When we get a little bit closer, we'll we'll start unveiling our plans for that because I don't want to jump the gun on it and do my full predictions, and then all of a sudden we're not playing non-conference games, or all of a sudden, you know, we're expecting a tough game on the road at Penn State, but you know, there's no fans in the stands, or or maybe we're expecting there to be no fans, and you know, by the time October rolls around, that we have. 75% full stadiums. I, I have no idea. Nobody has any idea what's going to happen. So um, we'll kind of leave that for a little while. But again, come on back Thursday. We have the Big Ten uh, decade team defense and special teams. We have betting the Big Ten West. Keep it. Uh, keep keep on supporting. Keep on asking me questions. Follow me on Twitter at Standing Room MSU. Subscribe. Leave a review. Thank you so much. Keep telling your friends and family. I appreciate all the support and the interaction. Um, ask me more questions. I, I love getting to the listener questions. You can ask me about literally anything at any time. Um, and I would love to get into that with you. So take care, Spartan Nation. Again, I hope you had a great holiday weekend. We will see you on Thursday. Have yourselves a day.